This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name's Russell Osborne and I'm glad to be bringing you another of our European Championship lookbacks. Both 1980 and 1988 are still available to listen to via your chosen podcast platform and indeed 3lionspodcast.com. And so far the reaction has been great. We've made it to 1992. Hot on the heels of Italia 90, expectations would have been high. Although Bobby Robson had departed to PSV Eindhoven and had been replaced by Graham Taylor, who had previously been in charge at Aston Villa, many were sceptical about the appointment, despite the fact that he'd led England to only one defeat in his first 23 matches. England qualified from Group 7 ahead of the Republic of Ireland, Poland and Turkey, winning three and drawing three, of which two of those draws were one all home and away with the Republic of Ireland. Sweden was chosen over Spain to host the event. Following a decision made by UEFA Executive Committee, Spain was at a disadvantage as they had already been chosen to host the Expo in 1992 and the 92 Summer Olympic Games. Once again, but for the last time, it was an eight-nation, two-group tournament that began on the 10th and ended on the 26th of June. Now, because of the Yugoslav War, Denmark were called in at the last minute, as UEFA disqualified the Yugoslavs, and with Denmark being the runners up to them in qualifying, they took their place. And famously, players cancelled their holidays and headed to Sweden. England, well, they would have faced Yugoslavia. Graham Taylor's squad included 20 players. Two goalkeepers, Chris Woods and Nigel Martin. Defenders, Keith Curl, Stuart Pearce, Martin Keown, Des Walker, Mark Wright and Tony Dorigo. Midfielders, David Platt, Trevor Stephen, Andy Sinton. Carlton Palmer, Neil Webb, Paul Merson, Tony Daly and David Batty. And his four forwards were Nigel Clough, Gary Lineker, Alan Smith and Alan Shearer. Liverpool's Rob Jones was expected to make the squad. However, shortly before the tournament, he pulled out with shin splints. Lee Dixon came in as a replacement, but then withdrew because of a knee injury. There was no Chris Waddle who was pulling up trees in France for Marseille, and Taylor went on record as saying Waddle didn't want to play for England. And no John Barnes, he was injured in a friendly against Finland, and no Peter Beardsley or Ian Wright, who had scored 29 goals that season. Terry Butcher, Peter Shilton and Brian Robson, all stalwarts under Bobby Robson, well, they had all retired. Paul Gascoigne, he was the big name, but had injured himself in the 1991 FA Cup final ahead of his move to Lazio. Back home, 
BBC, following the success of Ness and Dorma as their intro for the World Cup, well again, they went classical. Whilst ITV went with the more punchy, You Are the Number One by a band called Union. Jason Broom is an England fan and he went to Sweden. I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast another England supporter who was there for a European Championship. We're going back 28 years for this one, 1992, Sweden. I'd like to welcome Jason Broom. Hello there. Hi. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Yeah. Uh, how long have you been following England? Uh, I started going in 1990. I. I got let down for Italia 90, as you were saying earlier on, like everyone wants to go and then they never bother. So I thought right after that, I thought I'd start going. So I suppose it'll be nearly, yeah, nearly 29 years now. So yeah, I've missed a few tournaments, but yeah, I've done my fair share, I suppose, really. The, this day, I suppose it's a lot easier than what it was probably when I first started going with the uh, introduction of EasyJet and places like that. And the internet as well, I suppose, Russell, that, that makes things so much easier. It really does. So take us back to, to 1992. How old were you, if you don't mind me asking? I was 19 at the time, and um, obviously we'd done the qualifying games. I think we, it was like, obviously, the Republic of Ireland. We had Turkey, and we had Poland in our group. I believe we topped the group, but back then, they didn't always play all the, the, the qualifying games at the same time. And I think the Republic of Ireland drew with Turkey or something along those lines. So I think we, all we needed was a, was either a, a draw or a win against Poland. And obviously, and we qualified, I think, top of the group, if memory serves me. Um, the last group game was, cool, here we go, in 1991 in November. It was away in Poznan. And we drew one all. And uh, Gary Lineker got the equaliser. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, obviously, yes, yeah, so we, uh, we qualified for, for Sweden for 92. So, had you been to, to away games before? Only all the qualifiers leading up to that one, really, sort of thing. That's when I first started going after like 1990. And yeah, it, it was it was an eye opener. I, I was young at the time, I suppose. Obviously, Poland it's changed a lot since since then, sort of thing. Um, I suppose when we first went there, it's like a lot of border crossings. We went on a coach, you know, unless you flew a British Airways. There's not many more ways of getting across there. It was. Um, right run by a guy called uh, Paul Hartley which is a relative and it was £60 return and he and he ran a coach there it, it was cheap and cheerful I'd say that's probably the best way of um, yeah. of describing it really and so you, you got the uh, got the buzz for it through that yeah definitely sort of thing we'd gone to Turkey the same year yeah we'd won we had won 1-0 there Dennis Wise scored yeah, it was a lively few days over there um, people didn't really realize how bad it was until um that's obviously until the, the two Leeds fans got stabbed, I suppose, sort of thing. And mm. memory serves, I think the third time England played there, um, it was a complete blanket ban on England fans travelling across there. But we had gone across there and we'd won one nils. That was the main thing. It was three points in the bag. And I think we were still top of the group, if memory serves me. It was my first major tournament. Um, and I started going with, with, a, with a lad from Leeds that I'd, I'd met on the coach in, obviously, in 1991. And we've remained good friends ever since then. 
that is something that always tends to come up when when talking about England. Um, you are never alone when you, you follow England. It's it's a great opportunity to to make friends, and and I know that from personal experience. Oh yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, to me, it's, I think the, probably the two highlights of probably following the national team is I've been been to a lot of countries I'd probably have never have uh, never have gone to. Maybe in, in later life, I suppose, when travels become a bit easier. But I suppose, yeah, back then sort of thing, like nobody ever went to Poland. And prior to Sweden in 92, they played a friendly in Russia and Hungary that we went to as well. And obviously going to Russia sort of back nearly 30 years ago, I think the Iron Curtain had only just dropped. And it was absolutely fascinating. And I suppose the second thing, I suppose, Russell, was, um, yeah, meeting people from obviously from different clubs and, I suppose, yeah, and just staying friend, you know, staying good friends. And so back in those days, you never had mobile phones or the internet, so you normally just always grab like their mum's telephone number, or if they yeah. lived on their own, your, you know, their number. Yeah, but that's how it sort of that's how it worked, I suppose. Really, like so, it's it's a walk in the park these days. It really is like, isn't it? So, we don't don't know how easy we've got it now, do we? Uh, no, no. Often we we see like younger people at games and. You know, like me and my friend from Leeds and say, like, we met 30 years ago, and they used, they used to say, Well, you know, how did you keep in touch? And the guy that ran the trips, he just, you know, put out a mailing list, really, and then he sent a letter through. We basically would just pick up points going down through the country of various pubs or service stations, and you just went to that particular pickup point and just prayed to God that he turned up, really. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was simpler, and in some ways, it was probably better as well. I don't see everything through rose-tinted glasses, but yeah, it, it probably was. It was, it was uh, more of a challenge, I would say, really. So yeah, without a doubt. Well, you'd, you'd put in the miles there. Going to somewhere like Turkey, Poland, was a little bit further than going to Sweden for the tournament. How did you go about getting tickets and, and how did you go about sorting out travel for that one? Right, well, tickets, obviously, you went through the um, England Travel Club. I think they started it in 1990. It was like £10 a year. It was Jill Smith to the older people, obviously, would know her. But what happened was everyone joined in 1990 and then everyone sort of joined in like 1992. Well, the FA, they sort of they got wise to it. But I got a feeling after that that they started doing a two-year membership thing. But basically, you just, you just join the travel club and you got the tickets through there. But I think for the qualifying games, yeah, we'd have probably bought tickets through the travel club for them. And that's how you've done it, really. Um, you've got to bear in mind, back then, Russell, it was, a, it was only an 18 tournament and it was sort of done and dusted in a fortnight. I think regarding England, because we got knocked out after the group games, I think we were at home in sort of eight or nine days. So, you know, it's, it's not like the Euros now of sort of 24, 32 teams or whatever, 24 teams. You know, it was, it was a short tournament. It was like your group game, semi-final and the final. That's right. And regarding travel... Well, um, the guy that run the coach, he, he just like hired like three, um, well, three camper fans. And really, <laughs> if you had a if you had a driving license, you just sort we just took, took turns in driving. Really, oh, really, yeah, it was. It's a different era. I think we went we went across to Germany, then we went up through Denmark, and obviously we, when we then we went across into Sweden. Like, and yeah, that, that's how we done it. it was um, it was all quite. Um, bit more simpler i suppose back then if, if that's the right word so so yeah that's that was travel and tickets sorted out and i i think you had i can't remember how you got i think you were given vouchers for the semi-finals and the finals but i i think back then you had to sort of cash it in and 
and you had to pay for your ticket there and then we're like now everything's paid for up in advance yeah and obviously if we don't progress you get your money back which i think is a better system because you haven't got to worry about the finances for tickets i suppose so yeah that's how it was pretty much done if i mean if, if you're saying you're going in camper vans were you were you camping there or did you hook up in malmo for for accommodation no we we actually we, we actually stayed in the camper vans we did like you know there's probably sort of five or six of us in there um obviously the weather was quite nice and you know people would sleep outside or it wasn't it was it wasn't an organized tour it was just um just lads in three camper vans i suppose yeah. and also you got to bear in mind then back in the summer like in sweden it got sort of dark about one o'clock and it got light again about two i, <laughs> I wouldn't say that's exactly how it was but you didn't get much sort of nighttime there not really you know that that kind of threw you a little bit as well but no we stayed on um a campsite in melmo Sibiba, Sibaba, I forget, they, they dubbed it campsite hell for various reasons. Um, <laughs> but that's where a lot of the England fans stayed. And then we, when we went up to Stockholm for the third group game, I think we just stayed in, um, we stayed in the campsite there. I, I can't remember which one, but I think on the way up, because we had camper vans, we, we just literally just used to park up anywhere, really, and then just sleep the night. And I think sometimes we'd get moved on in the morning and off we'd go, really. But um, it was quite a clean and organised country, and everyone was quite civil. Yeah, maybe just a bit too young to appreciate it, really. I suppose so. it was a tournament that was a little bit disjointed going into it, wasn't it? Because of Yugoslavia, uh, Yugoslavia, or the the fall of Yugoslavia, I guess, the dissolve of Yugoslavia, who were disqualified, and Denmark were their replacement, weren't they? Yeah, I think they came in about literally about ten days before the before the actual tournament started. Because I remember when the draw was made, like we had we avoided Germany, we avoided Holland, and we avoided Scotland in our group. And I think it was like Denmark, France, and Yugoslavia. So you know, on the on the back of like Italia ninety, you know, you you fancy the chances of getting through. You really did sort of thing. Like got a cutting upstairs on on a photograph album. And it was the front page of the sun, and it's Laurie McMenemy and, and, and Graham Taylor sort of marching up this hill with a, with a big George Cross, and it says, sit back and watch England win the Euro. <laughs> oh, dear. They could have got it much more wrong if they tried, but no, no, you were kind of adamant. I know there was a few injuries leading up to, obviously, the main one was, was Gascoigne, wasn't it? I yes. think John Barnes got injured as well. I think Mark Wright was also injured. Um Gary Lineker obviously didn't fire on all fours. And also as well, I think like um, Peter Shilton, there was two or three that actually um, had retired after the World Cup as well. I think I did read somewhere in the actual last game against Sweden, I think only three of the original people from Italia 90 were in, were in that team. It was, it was a, a totally different team. And like you say, I think all the preparation he had done into playing, De- uh, into playing Yugoslavia all went out the window when De- when Denmark sort of uh, took their place, you know, literally the last minute, it really that's, was. Um, that's right, because yeah. that was our, our first game was against uh, the new incoming boys with Denmark on the 11th of June <coughs> in Malmo. So so you were there then for that game? Oh, yeah, we were there, like, and obviously um, because it was so close and it was it was Denmark, like there were thousands come up well. A lot of people actually had actually stayed in Denmark. A lot of England fans did, okay, and and had crossed over for for both the games. Because the other thing on the lead up to Sweden '92 was um, 
like like the prices of everything. You know, like I think the Sun run a, a a page like saying how much everything costs. Obviously, they probably overinflated it a little bit. Yeah, somewhere in Denmark and and across over, but yeah, all of a sudden, I suppose instead of having maybe three or forty thousand Yugoslavians there, you know, we were playing Denmark and it was right on their doorstep, and yeah, they they flooded over. They really did in our arrogance or whatever. We just presumed we were going to beat them. I think really it was a a foregone conclusion and three points. I think Sweden had played France earlier on that day and drew one all. If we had got the win. We'd have topped the group, you know, after the first game, but there, that wasn't yeah. to be. So a, a point there, um, and we stayed in Malmo for the second game, uh, which was against France. And the, the one thing that I always remember when I when I look back on this particular game is the the unseen incident between Stuart Pearce and Basil Bowley, the oh, French yeah. defender, who. It was just caught on camera where Basil Bowley just headbutted him. Stuart Pearce went down like a sack of potatoes, but then just got straight back up again. That's right. Yeah, he did sort of thing. And I remember reading an autobiography about him afterwards. He said, like, he, you know, he let it go sort of thing, because if he had never, then they'd have dragged up a load of things about him. But whether it's true or not, apparently that Basil Bowley did fax him afterwards and, and said, like, you know, thanks for the sportsmanship. But yeah. Oh, yeah, he, he clattered him a treat. He really did sort of thing. But, you know, and in fairness, he got straight back up again. I think also in that game, I, I think, didn't, didn't, he, uh, didn't Pierce hit the woodwork as well? Like, yes, yes, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, he, yeah, he I... did, like, you know, and so it's the same again. It's like fine margins. If that had gone in, then we'd have probably been sort of top of the group and it would have taken the pressure off, off the third game, I suppose. Yeah, and there was something that just one word that you said there, which really takes it to its time. That you said that Basil Bowley faxed Stuart yeah. Pierce. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. we might, might have to put something in for those of you that aren't aware what a fax machine is. <laughs> go, go and ask your parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I think it just sort of um, simplified or whatever we're looking for. Stuart Pierce on like you know is just his sort of like never die attitude and his I suppose is. I don't know, his bulldog spirit maybe or, or whatever you're looking for. I don't know. It's um I think that came out in Euro ninety six, didn't it, when he scored yeah. a penalty and you know, the the fist clenching and sort of like punching the punching the air or whatever. I think at six years six years of sort of like hurt sort of thing finally came out, didn't it? So That's but, right. And then there was that, that last game uh in I thought it was in Stockholm. I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. I, I thought we played up in Stockholm somewhere, but like you say I'm Everyone had to sort of travel up, and um, it was a game we sort of really needed to win, sort of thing. Like I remember, like uh, David Platt scoring after four minutes, and like everyone just going absolutely berserk because we'd finally sort of scored a goal. Sort of yeah, thing. <laughs> you know, third game in, yeah, and we'd finally we'd finally scored one. But um, I think second half, you know, we kind of uh, we wilted a little bit, sort of thing. And I remember sort of Taylor saying the players just tired; they really were like. And obviously, and Bodie scored that that the wonder goal, and we lost two one, didn't we? Yes, and and it will be sort of forever remembered, I guess, for that goal, Thomas Brolin's goal. Uh, but Gary Lineker's last game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was sort of thing. How did you feel when obviously we needed to score, but from the stands when you saw Gary Lineker going off, I think he threw the his captain's armband to someone, and then you see Alan Smith come on. You couldn't really believe it, you know. 
I don't profess to be like a football manager or knows like sedition. He was like our leading goal scorer at the time, or or you know, as he was, you know, obviously he was after the record, you know, and, and we and we needed to win, and you sort of dragged him off, and you couldn't believe it. And it was it wasn't like he was being replaced by no respect to Smith, you know, with someone superior, but you know he was like the sort of the best around at the time, and you thought that you'd have brought another striker on to sort of play alongside him, you know, having needing the result like. It was a sad way to end his career, really, it was. You know, you know, in Italia 90, he'd been so good. And so he was in Mexico in 86 as well when he got the hat-trick. He'd popped up with so many goals. And I suppose his, his discipline record was fantastic. And he was. He was he was media-friendly sort of thing. You know, he was approachable. He was, you know, he had everything, really. He'd played in some big clubs in Europe. And you had to see him sort of being pulled off. You just couldn't believe it. You really couldn't sort of thing. You just kind of, like, shook your head in disbelief. Yeah. And you mentioned the the Sun newspaper there. I, I did see the Sun when, when we'd gone out of the tournament, we'd lost to Sweden there. One of their headlines was uh, Swedes 2, Turnips 1, wasn't it? And that was <laughs> yeah. that was when they really started to turn the screw on, on Graham Taylor, wasn't it? Yeah, they did. You know, he didn't help himself. It happened to Bobby Robson four years previous, previously, didn't it, after Germany 88. You know, he kind of redeemed himself after Italia 90. People kind of forgot about that, but yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, they 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 did. They hounded him, sort of thing. Yeah, some of it was um, a bit below the mark, I think. Really, because that's modern, or that was journalism back then, I suppose. Really, I don't think he helped his it helped himself. And um, I think Laurie McMenemy said in the book a few years later that he, you know he he couldn't believe taking Lineker off, but I suppose he wasn't the manager, so. Maybe the beginning and the end, I suppose, really. So, or it didn't help anyway, without no. a shadow of a doubt. It was a, a bad, bad decision. It really was sort of thing. And it's what he'll always be known as, as, as the turnip. One end. There's a yeah. picture of a turnip with his face sort of um, photographed into it, I suppose. Or That's right. Uh, it kind of stuck with him as well, I suppose, really, didn't it? Unfortunately, yes. So, I mean, off off the time, uh, sort of uh, late eighties, early nineties. Unfortunately, um, sort of hooliganism or, or fans fighting amongst themselves or with each other was was around. Did you experience some of that? Yeah, yeah. The fan base has changed over the years, Russell. It really has. Like you know, you, you go back thirty years when I started going. I flicked through some photograph albums, and it was predominantly all males that went to the game being sort of 18 and 40s you know you had you had very few women at england games you had a few sort of thing we mate sort of he nailed it on the head a, a few years ago and he said like now you've probably got maybe sort of like 10 percent that will cause a bit of trouble and that's it where back then you had like 10 percent who looked for trouble and the other 90 percent were obviously happy to join in they really were and unfortunately that's just the way it was sort of thing you know but the fan base has changed definitely but yeah same with I think Italia 90 was probably just as much trouble, if not more. But because the team done well, it kind of went on the back burner. But I suppose because in Sweden, um, the team didn't do very well. The trouble was obviously was quite provident. They put in the beer, the beer tents in, in Malmö, which in all fairness seemed like a good idea. You know, obviously, it was something that seriously backfired, I suppose, really. Think was that, that almost like a, a fan park or something? It, it was like a fan park. I wouldn't say cheap drink, but it was, it was probably subsidised I suppose it wasn't a good idea. In hindsight, hindsight's a wonderful thing, I suppose. Yeah, there was, there was a bit, of, a bit yeah. of crowd trouble over there, you know, without a doubt. 
I did remember reading in one of the papers when I came home with the sun. I think the Swedes were just glad that we got knocked out and we, and we were going home, which is sad, I suppose. But that's just, that was just their um, just their just their view on it. I, was it just England fans, or, or no, was it not others? Really. No, I think obviously Germany and Holland. They were in the in the second group, and they'd clashed somewhere. It was always the England fans that seemed to make the headlines. The biggest difference I find is like if you have 40 Scottish fans in a bar and something gets damaged, it's it's just Scots having a bit of fun and they seem to get away with it. They wear their kilts and where where it's English fans, I suppose, you know, we're sort of dubbed as hooligans. But no, mm. we weren't the only ones. I think when we was up in Stockholm, the Black Army or, or whatever the Swedish hooligans were called, because England were in town, they came looking, you know, came looking as well. So, Obviously, they weren't disappointed. So, no, it wasn't only England fans. And I think because it was only an eight-team tournament, the focus is on the eight teams, I suppose. Yeah, so it's of England's reputation. It was, it was, it was always going to be like that, I suppose. Maybe not so much as these days, you know, then, yeah, definitely. When we, we lost to Sweden, we were obviously, the team were obviously out. Were you, were you straight back home or did you get to see any of the other games? No, to be honest... Um, a lot of people just just went home. It was it was expensive over there. There was ways around it, like you could have barbecues and you could do things like that. You're young at the time, like it's thirty years ago. So obviously, you know, you see things differently now. The country was very pretty, and it was it was clean and tidy, and everything run like clockwork. You know, it comes at a price, and I suppose, yeah, it's it's like any Scandinavian country, even in these days. It, and it wasn't like it was like a coastal resort where you could sort of go and maybe sit by the beach for a few days. Our particular group just headed straight home. I think we got up there after the Sweden game and we were on our toes. And I think that probably applied to these sort of 90, 95% of the England fans. Yeah. They were poor. There'd been a lot of trouble. It was expensive. And there was no seaside town to go to. So, yeah, people went over. Yeah. So, yeah, you would have got, got home to, uh, to, I guess, watch or see the, the surprise final. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think we maybe seen one of the semi-finals or maybe two of them. But like I said to you, Russell, like the whole thing was done and dusted within two weeks. You know, it probably sort of took us a couple of days to get home. But yeah, I remember watching the final. I think it was on a on a Sunday evening. And everyone just presumed Germany going to win. You just you just sort of just sort of took it as red, really. No, for Denmark to win it, yeah, it was quite it was quite good. Yeah, them and I guess Greece in in one of the later European yeah, Championship finals. That was wasn't it. Yes. Yeah, when the Greeks won it. Another one you would you would just you'd have never sort of ever put your money on that in a million years, would you? No. It is good, yeah. I think with the European Championship, I think it's sometimes it's better than the World Cup because in the World Cup you, you do have a lot of teams are never gonna win it. But I, I think maybe in the European Championships probably I'd say half the teams or maybe a little bit less in the European Championships have got a realistic chance of winning it. Maybe in the World Cup it's maybe only sort of 20 25 percent it's less filler teams as it were exactly. isn't it? it it normally is quite a strong tournament yeah so, so to see greece win it in 2004 yeah, that was uh it, it gives us hope that it that's well that's more. that's right so surprises do happen and and could it happen could we win it i think we've got as good as good as chance as anyone really um you know you've got to bear in mind our first three games are at wembley aren't they so that's, yeah that's got to give us a bit of an advantage really is yeah and then after that it's just i think it's just getting a bit of luck it really is if you go back through all the previous tournaments you know we've either been unlucky or we've just been absolutely rubbish like you know i'd say like italia 90 we were unlucky we hit the woodwork and you know and when the ball like sort of ricocheted off park into, into the back you know into the net where in sweden we were just just we were just poor we really were sort of thing and 
I said, obviously, we didn't qualify in 94. And, and so it was in 96, we were a little bit unlucky as well, I suppose, really, weren't we? So yeah. it's just, but yeah, yeah, I like to think we are. Yeah, I think we've got as good a chance as anyone, I really do. And I think with a front line of Sterling, Kane and, and Rashford, you know, we've, we've got to be able to shout we really have, like. I hope so. I, I like your optimism. Yeah, we've well, got to be being an England fan. Really, <laughs> yes. <laughs> in all fairness, you know, you look at the World Cup last year, Russell, and we were sort of, I know, the last second 45 minutes, we sort of collapsed. But prior to that sort of thing, you know, we're going to our first World Cup in, I don't know, 40 odd years. Like, I don't know exactly how many it was, but yeah, it's, it's quite a while, like it, like 66, yeah, more than that, 50 years, I suppose. Like, we got a good chance as anyone. You got the semis and the finals there at Wembley as well, like, haven't they? I think if we can get out of the group and negotiate our way through the round of 16 and quarterfinals, then um, who knows? It could be our year, couldn't it? But you, you never know of England, do you? No. Well, let's hope so. Let, let's hope it's better than 92, put it that way. Uh, I I got a pretty good feeling it will be, <laughs> <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt. Thank you very much for, for all those memories, uh, good and, and maybe not so good memories. Um, <laughs> yeah. Jason Broom, thank you very much. That's not a problem. Nice talking to you. Okay, Russell? Thank you. Hi, thanks very much. Bye. Cheers. I'm sure you'll agree, another great look back on a European Championships that England were involved in. Although, not the success story we all dream about. Still, the next episode should be a little different. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Cheers to Jason Broom for his time and his memories. Now, don't forget, all the previous Three Lions podcasts are available, including the Euro Look Back of 1980 and 1988. Just search your podcast provider or take a look at threelionspodcast.com. Plus, I'd be grateful If you could leave a positive review on the likes of iTunes or Spotify, just means that the podcast gets a little more exposure and more people have the opportunity to find it. My name's Russell Osborne, and until the next time, cheers. Cheers.